we're just not in that position. And so that means the game everybody else is playing may not be the game that you can and should play. Dare we say you have to rewrite the playbook? Rewrite the playbook. Yeah. Welcome to Rewriting the Playbook. We are your hosts, Ania Williams. And Del Del Medina of Black and Brown Founders. Um, we are going to have a very special interview today. That's right, a one-on-one. A one-on-one that uh, I recorded previously with the lovely Tara Reed from Apps Without Code. Let's see, we both actually met Tara pretty much at the same time, which was yeah. through the residency program from Code 2040. But one of the things that I highly admire about Tara um, is her ability to pivot measure learn as needed like she does not stop for yeah Yeah. she's like she is she does not stop she's not thinking like oh what is this thing how she's like constantly learning and engaging and she's very clear about the things that she wants and how she wants to live her life and the things that are important to her and she's really like the epitome to me of somebody who's saying how can tech work for me not the other way around exactly Exactly. I think it's it's an inspiration and it actually was something that really got me to think differently about where uh, things were going with me and what I was doing with Tinsel. And so, yeah, she's she's amazing. So Tara is the, the founder and CEO of a company called Apps Without Code. Tara has also been a speaker at all of the Black and Brown Founders events, with the exception of Hustle House. And uh, we look forward to sharing some footage that she did a really awesome talk on bootstrapping that we'll we'll probably share in our next uh, episodes to come. But uh, yeah, like the, the, the things that she, she does talk about, it's not only about how do you build apps without code, which I think in itself is a novel. What's so great about her work is that she's helping people think about how do I make tech work for me instead of me working for tech? And I think that that's two very different ways of approaching uh, tech and tech-enabled business building. And, and that's what's so beautiful about what she does and how she engages people. I highly admire that about her. Having said all that, interesting. we should, you know, plug Aslo, yeah, our sponsor. Like, also, yeah, <laughs> we should totally plug our sponsor. Like we should talk about our sponsor here. Let's talk about our sponsor. Because, you know, this podcast was brought to you by Aslo, A-Z-L-O. It is a zero-fee small business banking platform that helps entrepreneurs like us start, grow, and succeed on their own terms. Because financial freedom is deciding your own own future. future. Yeah, it is. So thank you, Aslo, for being our big supporter in getting this podcast out. Speaking of financial freedom Mm -hmm. um, and how that relates to Tara and also how that relates to black and brown founders. um, One, as I mentioned, she's spoken at uh, a number of the events that we've done. Two, we've actually just announced another event that we're going to do that's um, right in the spirit of plugs we should probably plug our own oh shit. heck yeah um, <laughs> let's plug we're away kinda doing a thing um no in philadelphia we're so excited october 3rd through the 5th is going to be 2018 2018 yes this year um the clock is a ticking and we are doing Project North Star in Philly. It will be our second event in Philadelphia, which we are doing in partnership with the city of Philadelphia. We are super excited to be bringing back something. At the end of the day, we are trying to help black and brown folks make cash money. Yep. In the innovation economy, participate, 
grow, learn, and engage. Like that's that's part of it. Absolutely. Um, and we don't want to spend too much time waxing poetic about North Star, but please do go to our website, northstarphl.com and check out what we are up to. We're looking forward to seeing you in Philly, October 3rd through the 5th. Yes. We're going to learn and we're going to have some fun. Oh, heck yeah. Please. Of course. Heck yeah. Okay. All right. Now let's get into it. Let's listen to Tara. Yes. I am here today with Miss Tara Reed from Apps Without Code. Welcome, Tara. Hey, thank you for having me. I want to start off by giving our listeners here a little bit of an introduction to, like, who is Tara Reed? I feel like you, to me, are just one of the most innovative, creative, awesome, inspiring, like, educators that are out there in the internet space today thank you teaching people how to build successful businesses teaching them how to build apps without code you have this awesome boot camp but it's so much more than that like I'd love for you to just kind of tell us the journey of how you got to where you are today so my background is in tech so before becoming an entrepreneur uh, I ran marketing initiatives at Google Foursquare and Microsoft so I had been in these tech roles, but on the business side. So I wasn't building tech products. I was working with those people. Um, And I think if I want to even back up even further than that, I went to college in New York, Columbia, and I thought that I wanted to be a lawyer. Thought that that was like the path. I don't know. A lawyer? Yeah. I don't think I knew this about you. (laughs) Anyway, that's what I thought. And and I like logic, Mm. right? So... Like rules and logic. So I think that's where I came up with that. And so I was taking these like legal and compliance internships. I had an internship at a brokerage one summer in college. And I would do all of the like legal and compliance work really fast. And then I would have a bunch of time left over to think about other things. And I was really excited about streamlining processes in the business. You're such a dork. I'm totally a dork. I love it. And my dad I had a conversation <laughs> with my dad, and I was like, here are the things I'm doing. And he was like, well, you know that this is business, and that's called business process engineering, and like people do that for a job, and like you should look into that. So that's how I discovered that I was interested in business in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I mentioned, I was working at a couple tech companies. I was at a job at Microsoft. This was 2014. And I had an idea for a didn't even feel like a company at the time, like a project, and mm. I gave her a project. And I wanted to help people, including myself, find cool art for their homes. And so I ended up scrolling through my Twitter feed one day, and I found this tweet, and it said, hey, there's this guy named Gary, and he's doing this program. It's a boot camp to help you launch your side project. And so I saw that, and I like clicked on the link, and the program looked really cool, so I applied to it, and I got an interview, and I got accepted, and I got a scholarship. But the problem was that the program was in New York, and at the time I was living in Seattle working for Microsoft. Mm. So I get into this side project program, and I am super excited about it, but I don't know how I'm going to make it work. And the, I had a conversation with my partner at the time, and she was like, well, if there's no, what's the point of you having this cushy tech job if you can't just like fly to New York every week for this program? Wait, you flew to New York every week? Yeah, for the summer. So, wow. you know, I worked at a tech company where it was okay to work remotely some yeah. days. And so on Monday, I would work remotely. I would fly Monday morning to New York. I would take all my meetings there. The program was hosted at Kickstarter's old office. So um, I'd take all my meetings there, and then I would do the class Monday evening, and then I'd fly back really quickly 
to get back in the office on Tuesday. Oh, my God. Wait, so, like, 24 hours. Yeah. Plus that flight, the flight going from the West Coast to our East Coasters here. Like, you lose not only the flight time, which is, like, six hours typically. Mm -hmm. Then you have, like, the three-hour time difference. So there's no way you make that flight across the country without losing at least nine hours. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just one way. If I do it in the evening going one way and then coming back, it benefits me because I can be back at work early. Yeah. Yeah. Also, that's like, that's some ish that like only young people can do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're just like, rally, rally, rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So I did that. And um, through that program, I was starting to, to launch this company, this project called Collecto, which was my first business. And so we helped people, young professionals, find cool art for their homes I had no idea how I was initially going to launch this, so I think I came up with the idea on a Monday, and by Thursday I had launched this really ugly website that had become an art collector, get a personal stylist for your walls, and I just started publicly promoting it and seeing if people were interested. So I, I put a waitlist button on the site so I could slowly take people off the waitlist, because if mm-hmm. a bunch of people had signed up on day one, I'd been like, oh, I, I didn't actually have a plan here, it was just an idea. And then I, I, when I started getting people sign up, signing up, I quickly ran to LinkedIn and like Google and like searched art advisor and messaged a bunch of people who had interesting resumes as art advisors who could help me, and went to coffee with them to like make sure I liked them, and then like picked somebody to start helping me. And I told her I'd give her a percentage of all the sales that she made, and kind of hacked it together. At I built the airplane while it was in the air, really. Wow. You're just like so GD resourceful. Like I, I love that that scrappiness. This is like, it's the embodiment of of what you got to do when you're just like trying to figure it out. You're trying to test it out. You're trying to validate, and you're just like cobbling these things together. So but I feel like it's like I don't, I don't have time to waste. So for me, if I'm like, oh, I gotta like plan everything out and like build it perfectly, then if I get that wrong then I wasted a bunch of my time and I have a low tolerance for wasting my time that way. So I'd rather put something out there, see if people want it and then get resourceful and like scramble to make it work as opposed to the other way around. When you become an entrepreneur, you're the boss. And so most of it is not gonna be, like you have very little data points when you're starting. So you're you're not gonna make a perfectly informed, perfect decision. You're just gonna kind of like go with what you think is gonna work and then structure some tests around that. So you can test, maybe, I like numbers, but like test some numbers around, I thought, plan to reach out to 100 people, I thought I was going to get this kind of response rate, I did that, and I got to double that response rate, therefore this was successful, so now let's move on to, like, you just got to set up some experiments for yourself <laughs> yeah, to run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I want to, like, get into Collecto and then Apps Without Code, but before I do that, yeah. do you want to tell us a little bit about, like, growing up and, and what kind of influence the people around you might have also had on what you do today? <laughs> yeah, do you know this story? No. So, my parents are very, let me just, my mom's an accountant, okay, uh, and my dad is a, he's a business guy, he's been a COO of nonprofits. For, and, and businesses, not just nonprofits, for, for a long time. And he's also a jazz musician. But they're very like, calculated business people, I would mm-hmm. say. They're very logical thinkers. Mm-hmm. And I think for both of them, me understanding the value of money and the importance of money is super, was super important in their parenting. So my parents would do this thing where they, they didn't believe in giving me money for anything. 
And instead, so, like, there wasn't an allowance thing or, like, hey. You never had an allowance? No, but here's what I did have because I had plenty of money. Oh, okay. Plenty of money. Uh, and what they did was I'd have to find a chore that there was a demand for and then negotiate for why there was a demand for that chore. Right. And then if it was an ongoing chore, like do the dishes after dinner kind of thing, I could draft up like an ongoing contract for that, right? So if we, we didn't This need is to keep, already amazing. Yeah, we didn't need to keep negotiating it. It was just like we could just draft the contract. And then um, after I did the chore, I would write an invoice and submit it, and then I got paid. Wow, so you were like a 1099 employee in your own heart. <laughs> Pretty much, but but that's awesome. Though. I actually really liked it. Like I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, and it meant I wasn't limited to my allowance. I, like I could get as much money as I wanted to, as long as I could negotiate for the demand and follow up on my invoice. Oh, invoices. that's so smart. And I had money. Wait, how early did this start? Because I'm already thinking about how I'm going to do this with my daughter. <laughs> I definitely was in middle school. Um, probably maybe around early fifth grade, something like that probably where it came in okay okay and I think the way that it it eased in was was like here's money for stuff the way it started was here's money for stuff you need like you need to buy school books so you like here's a budget for that anything Mm -hmm. else you have to find the money for Mm -hmm. or negotiate or whatever which is like that's real life right like yeah which is awesome and I think it also shows how like your parents clearly don't fuck around like (laughs) No, we're not going to buy that for you. You got to, where's the contract? Yeah. And have you fulfilled these duties? Yeah, they're like, well, how's your budget looking from what you already have? And like, oh, you need some more? All right. Mm. Let us know how that goes. I love this. I love this. Okay, so back to Collecto. Yes. You found these amazing art people. Yeah. (laughs) You interviewed them. You were like, okay, dope. You'll get a cut of the the money. That's right. So you basically just kind of started putting together this engine behind the scenes. after After you had already just kind of like put it out there to the universe to see if this was something that people would sign up for even. That's right. And so we eventually ended up building a algorithm that matches you to artwork based on your taste, right? And so I had been doing that without writing any code. And so I didn't have, I I never hired any developers. I actually don't think I ever have Mm. hired a developer. Maybe I've tried. I've never successfully (laughs) done a project with a developer. And I think that, that mainly that's because it's because of a couple things. Like one, I am not a developer myself, so my ability to manage someone and be like, "Oh yeah, the code looks great." Like, I don't know. That don't is know. a big issue that people have when they are not technical themselves yeah. and they are trying to manage technical people. And when you are on a budget, when you're starting as an entrepreneur, you can only afford so-so developers, right? Like they're they're not the best of the best. You got like so-so, and so I just I, I was having a hard time navigating that. Anytime I have a hard time navigating anything, I don't spend much time on it. I move to the next thing. <laughs> so my next thing was like, well, there has to be some other way for me to do this. I started cobbling together tools to create this thing I call an invisible app. So it has no logins, no passwords. There's nothing to download in the app store. And instead, you deliver value via like SMS or email or something your customer already has. You deliver all your value that way. So what I did was I, I took a survey and I used the show hide logic on the survey. So if someone said, I like photography, it would show all the photography and hide everything else. Mm. And if someone said, I like photography and I have a budget of $500 and below, it would show all the photography $500 below and hide everything else. And so people would email me and be like, oh my gosh, Tara, your app is so cool. 
And little did they know, I just kind of hacked a survey and sent people survey links via email and kind of automated the process together to build the first version. So I made my first $35,000 in revenue with that first version. Hey, cha-ching, cha-ching. And then took that first version to, uh, uh, through my application to an interview with 500 startups, um, and they were our first investor. And I remember, I remember the, the interview where we got to, I'd been talking about traction, and we got to the point where they're like, so how have you been building the product? Do you have a CTO? And I told them exactly <laughs> what I was doing. I told them what I had been doing, right? I was like, I've been hacking together these off-the-shelf tools. And, and I quickly turned it around to like, and like, here's the revenue we've made from it thus far. And they kind of paused for a second and looked at each other. Uh, I remember Christine Tsai was in the meeting, and so they kind of paused and looked at each other and nodded their heads because it was clear that this person was going to get this thing built no matter what. We can help them with the other stuff, but mm. like they're going to get this this company off the ground. Yeah. One of my favorite things that you talk about is business models, and yeah. even more importantly, danger zone business models. Yeah. So you just mentioned uh, in your first business, Collecto, essentially the model would like you got to kind of be a broker in between, yeah. and you I were making do that again. <laughs> like for the record why not because it's, it was a danger zone business model that's where I learned about danger zone business models nice so tell us a little bit about this concept of danger zone business models okay so the concept is that there are certain business models where you have to have a lot of volume for you to make money so like let's say that you have an uber like business model where you make a, you know a couple dollars or a percent of a transaction you have to have a lot of transactions to pay your bills hell yeah so what that means is sometimes i call them my nickname for the danger zone business models is like the broke too long business model <laughs> it just means that you have to slowly build up to the point where you have lots of customers so that that three cents or even if you want to do a 99 cent app a if it's not a transaction fee, it's a 99 cent app, or it's even like a $10 a month subscription, even a $20 a month subscription. You gotta get a lot of $20 to pay your bills. And then if you wanna have other people that you pay, like you could do the do the math real quick, like that's a lot of $20, it's a lot of 99 cents, and you're just scrapping for pennies at mm -hmm. that point. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really interested in, in, let me back up, there's nothing wrong with those business models, it just means that you're broke for a long period of time. And so if you are an entrepreneur who can quickly get external capital, uh, raise money, you've got a lot of money in the bank, whatever it is, that's okay. You can be broke for a long time and be fine. But I think a lot of entrepreneurs of color are not in that boat. Yep, and that's why we're here today. Yeah, <laughs> like we're just not in that position. And so that means you, you, the game everybody else is playing may not be the game that you can and should play. Dare we say you have to rewrite the playbook? Rewrite the playbook. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, I don't have the same resources, so I have to do something lesser. It actually is something better, I think, which is looking at how everyone else outside of tech builds businesses, which is like, a, you know, I live in the Midwest. I live in Chicago. And so the culture in tech is like, oh, your company is not making any money yet. It's just a hobby. <laughs> Like, that's not a company. <laughs> so, so, like, the, the fact that looking at danger zone business models, these, like, broke too long business models, and be like, wait a minute, what are the other opportunities for me to actually, instead of scrapping for 99 cents at a time, or instead of scrapping for something where I make it for $10, but I, I sell it for $10, but I make it for $9, or instead of taking, you know, all of these things where you don't actually come home with a lot of money for every customer, 
look, you get an opportunity to look at these other kinds of safe zone business models where you can go, well, wait a minute. Is this thing, like, who's my target customer? It's mm-hmm. actually like I kind of have a couple step flow. I walk people through if they're trying to figure out how to explore other business models for themselves. So the first is like, who's your target customer? Like explain it. And I think a lot of times the reason people get stuck in these low price point offerings is because they want to make their target customer everybody. Oh, yes, we do. That's like entrepreneur trap number yeah. one is like everybody is my customer. But everybody is your customer is a quick way to go broke. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that everybody can't eventually be your customer. Like we forget that when Facebook launched, it was literally just for Harvard students. So I don't know how many people that is, but like maybe some thousand. Few thousand yeah. yeah, yeah, like a few thousand people were the only people who could use it. Or when Uber launched, they launched in like one city. It wasn't peer-to-peer. Just all those things we forget, mm-hmm. right? And so you want to go as niche as possible and go after, and this kind of gets to the second second piece of this, which is like go after people who have some sort of clear concern and problem that you're trying to solve. So the way that I actually like to have entrepreneurs think about this is I ask them what's the worry sentence that they're trying to solve, mm. right? So your customer says, I'm worried that, and you fill in the blank. So like, I'm worried that I'm not gonna make it to work on time. Or I'm, like, if, if, and if that's it, right, then if you have an idea for Uber, instead of trying to go after everyone, you go after people who are just graduating from college, who are landing in cushy jobs, who know that they're, they were late to class every single time, <laughs> and, they, and they know that they're gonna mess this up this first mm-hmm. job opportunity, and so you go after them, and maybe you go, to like directly market those people and like have some sort of premium experience for them, for them to get to work on time consistently every time. And then you can like charge money for something that's more um, of more of a pressing worry for them. You've got a a niche audience. It's not Uber for everyone because you probably won't be able to compete against Uber, right? Or a big, any big company that's in your space. But you can compete if you go after a niche and if you go after a clear worry sentence. I love this. So, okay. Going after the clear the clear problem, yes. Going for a premium pricing structure. Can you yeah. kind of like give us a, a quick like rundown of like in the do not category, the do <laughs> okay, not pass yeah. go category? It looks like X. okay. So like danger zone business models, ones where you're gonna have trouble because you need scale in order for it to work, are low transaction fees. So I'm gonna take a small percentage of every transaction low one-time or annual fee so it costs 99 cents one time we done Mm -hmm. right um low subscriptions anything under 50 dollars a month i put in this category okay yeah and for the one time by the way anything under 600 dollars one time or a year is low gotcha and then um also free plus ads right (laughs) i feel like ads are, are definitely the biggest culprit yeah. That everybody wants to, I'm just going to give it to you them free. And, and then like make money from ads later. Exactly. Right. So the challenge with that is that you, when you go to sell an ad to a company, when you go to make money from ads, you go to the company and you say, hey, you should give me money. And when you give me money, I'll put your brand in front of my big, huge audience. And in order to have that conversation, you have to have a big, huge audience. Otherwise, the brand's <laughs> going to be like, what? What? You don't have, you got three customers already. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about your big, huge audience. So you've got to build up a big, huge audience, which means that you've got to like take a couple years to do that, which means you broke too long and you probably like you likely won't make it to that point. You can. It's possible. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't. 
right? And so you just put yourself in a dangerous position. It's not impossible business model, just dangerous. What are some suggested business models? What does it look like to, to, to not be in the danger zone? How could that yeah. look? So overall, it's, it's more premium experiences. So it is a monthly subscription that's somewhere around $50 a month plus, mm-hmm. right? Or it's a one-time or annual fee that's somewhere around $500, $600 plus, mm-hmm. right? And that could be that instead of going after the everyday consumer, you find a business that could also use a version of what you have or you white label it which means you take your logo off and slap somebody else's logo on so for example if you have that idea for that car service and you're going to go after the college students who are just coming out into cushy jobs and need rides i'm making this up as we're talking but you could go to the hiring managers who are hiring these big classes of college Mm. recruits right go to Microsoft, who just hired a bunch of students um, or go to any of these big companies and give them this offering. And and so they've got some sort of app that has their, you take your logo off, their logo on, and now you've got the like Microsoft ride service that like takes you to, you know, whatever you need, right? And big tech companies have this, but smaller, more medium ones don't. I love it. I know that this is also kind of where you start with the boot camp that you've created with people before they build any kind of app it's about really figuring out what does that business look like like we actually haven't talked about apps without code so apps without code is a education company and what we do is we help entrepreneurs build uh profitable app businesses so not just tech businesses but profitable ones and so the kind of program and curriculum is structured around making business model, figuring out how you're going to make money, building a solid marketing strategy around that, and then building the product and doing that with limited resources. Mm, Sounds like my kind of jam. And also, how can people find out more about Apps Without Code? Yeah, so they can go to appswithoutcode.com. I also do a workshop on Wednesdays. So if you go to workshop.appswithoutcode.com, you can come and I'll show you how kind of some of this Apps Without Code building works and more about the danger zone business models, all that good stuff. What's the most surprising thing that most students who come through the boot camp learn? Oh, so this actually will sound somewhat simple but for me this is it's been the biggest learning that I've had as an entrepreneur and I think when students go through boot camp entrepreneurs go through boot camp they really get this and that is to only build things people are willing to pay for that's a novel idea do you want to share any any ideas visions for the future oh yeah I've actually never publicly shared this so I'll share this so for me I think absolutely that code is really awesome and it's one piece of a much larger puzzle I'm interested in. And I'm interested in this concept of a school for generational wealth. Mm-hmm. So where do you go to learn how to make money for yourself in, as an entrepreneur? How do you, where do you go to learn how to manage your own money and invest your own money? All those things. So I'm really interested in this idea of a, a school for generational wealth. I think tech entrepreneurship is one piece of it. And that can be apt to that code, which really kind of democratizes this tech entrepreneurship experience. But what does it look like for us to also have like a real estate program? And what does it look like for us to also have love it like personal finance and investing in stocks and all those sorts of things uh, so people can think about generational wealth? And I particularly like working with entrepreneurs of color. And so what does it look like for us to have this school uh, where you can go and, and 
sharpen your skills and learn these things. Awesome. Thank you, Tara, for joining us today. This was fun. So that was our interview with Tara Reed. Love her. Okay, yes. there's so much um, that's in there, I feel like, that we can dig into. I want to say that the first thing that sticks out to me um, is just hearing about the role in which her family played mm-hmm. in forming who she is today and what she does. Yes. Um, Del Del, you and I have had a number of conversations about the the effect on of that. Like, both when I think about my own upbringing... I think when you think about your upbringing, yeah. when we think about other people that we know who have kind of grown up in family businesses and what they're doing now, like, it's so important. I mean, it just to have that be a part of the culture in which you have, have grown and grown into and that, the effect that it has. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's training. It, it You know, what's interesting is like when you think about like family structures and so often people talk about family, you, you think about the emotional impact and the well-being impact and the the emotional psychological piece of it all we don't think of the sociological piece of it all of like what does it mean to come from a place and space where people are thinking and engaging and making money in a very particular way like those are two very different ways of thinking about it and so often we take these experiences and we don't realize that that's part of our toolkit and so i think often when we are um introduced to things through our family line we either dismiss it discount it or don't even think about it and I'm thinking about this because I I know somebody whose father was an engineer and the way that he talked about it oh my father was an engineer like he dismissed it I'm like yeah but now you're like this amazing developer Mm. and the 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 apple doesn't fall too far from the tree and yes (laughs) you're not you're not building machinery or you're not building roads but or designing roads but there's a way in which your brain was trained to think about systems as a result of growing up with with someone that was engaging in engineering, right? It's so true. Like even the fact that, you know, I grew up in the the hair salons and the hair school that my family had in Philly and like I make my own wigs. Like that's the you know thing hair. that I do. <laughs> like I spent so much time at hair shows and hair competitions. When I was a kid, I used to be at the Bronner Brothers show giving out flyers for I'm my so grandma's jealous. workshops. Like yeah. this is this is my upbringing. So it's it's so so critical. And so to Tara's story, yeah. when she talks about, you know, who her parents are and oh my god, the idea that her parents would make her like put together contracts and invoice them to yes. be paid. I'm squ- I'm swagging like, the shit out of that oh, for when my daughter grows Yeah, up. Like, I was like, what? They did what with what? It's so incredible. And I'm just like, we take those things. Um, and I mean, I don't know, to some people that probably even sounds crazy. But to me, I'm like, yes, this is instilling the principles of budgeting, of mm-hmm. like understanding how to negotiate, of understanding how to actually structure the documents that you're going to need to know how to understand and do in mm-hmm. the world of business when you get older and these things she's been doing since she was a child. Yep. Which it's given her a leg up to be the successful person that she is. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that is part of why training and engaging people in training is important, which is what her business is all about. Cause I love that piece that she talked about building solutions from the perspective of the community that you are from. Like that is so true. Like I have seen people who are very adept at building something, have no idea how to engage that population or group of people, whether it is somebody starting an educate company but has never been an educator, 
<laughs> or somebody who's like gone into food or fashion but has never ever like been in the food or fashion business uh like having somebody create something that understands the issue and the problem and build their own solution like that's huge i'm pulling up your nerd lens article if you go to the black and brown founders medium uh publication you can see an article that dell wrote uh last year called the nerd lens and how we look at success and i'm trying to find the actual quote in which like i'm i'm trying to find your words where you basically kind of said that you know when we get to design from the perspectives that we're we're intimately yeah. familiar with like that is that is progress yeah cuz you're you're making your own solutions you're not having somebody else you're not waiting around for somebody else to create the solution and i think like that's also what's exciting about the innovation economy and this moment that we're in is that it's getting easier and easier to build your own solutions that have impact in a short amount of time with a group of people that desperately are looking for that thing. So when she says a niche is good, I'm like, yes, a niche is amazing. Because the, what is somebody else's niche is actually your community. Mm-hmm. And that too often people are quick to dismiss and say, oh, that's too small of a pie. But if you're impacting a group of people that's never been engaged with, you don't know the depth of that, how, what the depth of that engagement is going to be. And that's what's exciting about it. Yes, I found the thing I'm looking for, which by the way is Del Del's own words. We need to create great solutions to our problems and serve our communities. We need to hire each other with jobs that pay well because we're building companies with solid customer bases. We need the ability to make tech in our own way. We need the freedom to take off the nerd lens, which I just think is, is very much in line with what we're talking about here, especially when you think about that when you when you weave in the idea that um, that you also talk about in this this post, which is like we don't need the the black or brown Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Um, while that would be nice, and I do think that there are some organizations that are, are really pushing for making that happen. What we need is like like instead of having one black or brown billionaire, like wouldn't it be much while more the rest of us are broke? Exactly. <laughs> wouldn't it be much more advantageous to have thousands of millionaires yeah. um, is the, is the idea of what we're talking about here. And I think that, you know, the work that Tara does. And when we start thinking about that and in comparison to how we think of business models and how we think about how we approach that, that idea of attacking a niche inherently to some people, it makes them feel like it's too small. But the reality of the situation is by having that focus and being just laser focused on, on, who your customer is and what it is that you're selling to them and how you're solving their problem, particularly when you're coming from a place of expertise and being intimately familiar with that problem and how you use technology to solve it, then yeah, you nail that one person and then that grows into kind of a base of that type of profile of person. But from there, you then can understand how it expands. Like you learn from that example how your idea how your business how your solution is viable in the broader mainstream like and she actually uses mark zuckerberg as an example in that interview she talks about like you know he started off with just harvard students like harvard students is not a big demographic you can't pitch a facebook to for harvard students um and expect to get you know a billion dollars but here we are right yeah no and, and and also how that's leading her to find other opportunities around the generational wealth piece right like so that these things are not in contradiction to each other like 
and that's the beauty of the work that she's doing. And that's why she's someone that you've got to keep your eye on. You've got to keep on following. You've got to keep on engaging with because she's always going to figure out that next step and is going to be successful at it. Right. And to Del's point, she's iterating all the time based on what she knows and what she's got her eyes set on to yeah. achieve. So while getting paid. Yes. Yes. Let's not forget that part. Cause that, at the end of the day, that's what we're all here for. Right. So true. Exactly. Okay, so let's bubble hop mm-hmm. for a little bit. Uh, and I think today our bubble hopping is actually getting out of our bubbles. Like, what is the retreat of choice for you when you're just like, like let's let's kind of take it back. Like, the world is, is like a little bit on fire right now. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you just need to detach. That's right. How are you detaching? It, it's interesting we're talking about bubble hopping, but in some ways this feels like I'm creating my own like bubble and retreat because like you said, it is really overwhelming. The news cycle is very overwhelming. The the world stuff is very overwhelming. So I've been doing a combination of things. I've been, I, I took uh, certain apps that deal with social media and uh, news off my phone. So I am not getting any of that information. Yeah. I'm also like not reading any news past six o'clock. Like I just can't. Uh, it's not healthy. It's reactive. You can't be getting news about something right before you're going to bed and then go to, try to go to bed healthily. Like, that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. And then I'm trying to find things that are bring like, beauty and light and a different kind of energy, you know? So it's everything, like, I've really been enjoying a lot of the comedy specials that are all over the place, everything from HBO to Netflix to, like, a couple of other ones. Because you, you gotta you got to laugh. I've been watching so much comedy. Lately. You have like to. It's, it's kind of a, a mental like yeah. mandate for me. I've I've never seen so much comedy in my life. Yeah, like I've always been a comedy nerd. I've always liked to go watch live shows. I've always been someone that less watched like all the Chris Rock specials, all the Eddie Murphy specials. Like I've always watched all of those. And right now, like it is literally the refuge. Most of the comedians that I'm seeing are are in reaction to and are trying to uplift what seems like a really difficult time for Mm -hmm. everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is what they're doing and doing expertly. So whether you're Sarah Silverman or, you know, W. Kamau Bell or Heather Gatsby, like it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, like at the end of the, Hari Kondabolu, like all of those guys are like, here's a different way of looking at it. Yeah. I've been, I've been watching so many of those specials, uh, obviously Love and Hip Hop, which yes, is one of, of my favorite things to watch. I watch a lot of television. I think mm. I'm just coming to the realization that that is a truth about me. Um, and I think that that is because television for me is a way to decompress. Um, I am one of those people who's actually terrified of cutting the cord because I'm just like, oh, well, wow. what if my internet goes out? Like, what am I going to watch then? Am I going to use an antenna and like watch commercials when I have to? Like when I can't fast forward Don't through hurt with yourself. the DVR? What is happening? No. But yeah, so clearly I think, I think I'm a little bit of a TV junkie. I've always been like a, a movie person. Marco mm-hmm. and I, my husband and I, have always been like that was one of the first things we connected over so I feel like that is is definitely a retreat the reality is like you have great stories with great actors right now beautiful sets uh you know they're engaging there's a certain level of quality in media right now that's very high um and your ability to choose what you want to consume and how you want to consume it is also like really different so like I'm watching like I've been watching a telenovela on on Netflix 
Um, and a telenovela usually is five days a week for like 18 months. And so if you miss an episode, there's no going back traditionally in the traditional TV realm. And I've been like, you know what? I'm going to take my time with this. I'm going to watch one episode a month or one episode a week. And I'm going to take my time with it because yeah. it's a long form television. I don't have to binge on it. I'm enjoying it too much to binge on it. So like, speak I'm, for yourself. I'm like binge when I find something really. I, watch, I I am I'm on it. Like really. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I still got to get up and work and stuff. But <laughs> Shower. <laughs> got to like feed the kid, put it in bed. As soon as like Noemi's in bed, I'm just like turn on the TV. We're watching two more episodes, and then like, and I think I saw an episode of um, Portlandia. Oh yeah, making fun of the binge watching of the Battlestar Battlestar Galactica. Galactica. I love that one. And like, I was like, oh, that's that's real for me. Not necessarily with Battlestar Galactica. That is Marco's show, though. But like for me, you know, where you're just like into it, and you're just like, okay, one more episode. I was really into the Battlestar, but to me, the Battlestar Galactica is the beginning of quality television. That that like to me, the dawn of yeah, like television. when it started, like between Mad Men, Battlestar Galactica, there was a couple of shows that came out during that time. Breaking Bad, yeah, they were all like really excellent, and they were able to capture people's eyeballs, and you had access to them in a different way because you weren't able to binge watch before then. Like that was part of the problem. You were watching the, like like going back to the telenovela thing. You would like, just buy like the DVD like yeah. box sets, which by the way, I still have. Oh, I have some DVD <laughs> box sets. There is a. Huge volume of The Office um, DVD box set that oh, yeah. I could show you. Sex in the City got all of that too. Yeah. So like it's real. So you know, I guess our, our bubble hopping this week is just talking about what where where what, what other bubbles are what, we transporting ourselves to? What what is giving you comfort yeah. these days? So actually, we're interested to know from you guys what is giving you guys comfort nowadays. Yeah. Like, why don't you tell us? Like, tweet at us. Yeah. Uh, at BB Founders. Let us know what you are, yeah. uh, what you're, what you're doing to retreat from the craziness. Because let's be honest, the people who are listening to this, you're doing something difficult. Chances are, if you're listening to us, it's because you're trying to learn and engage and figure out something. So whether you're a founder or whether you're working within the innovation economy, like you don't have an easy job. And then the world not being a stable place right now, like that's not helpful either. Not being stable for folks of color, that's not helpful either. Not helpful so what is what are the things that are like nourishing you and helping you and engaging you so that you get to be a whole person? Like Hashtag bubble hopping. Yep. Get at us. Um, all right. So uh, we'll let you guys go this time. We're going to have a little bit of a break between now yep. and our next batch of episodes uh, while we record and edit them. Because yep. you guys, we have lots of jobs. We're a small nonprofit. We're doing all we can, okay? So if you can donate, <laughs> blackandbrownfounders.org, we would appreciate it. Help us fund our podcast budget. Um, anyway, but yeah, so we're, we're so, thank you guys for taking the time to listen to us and uh, feel free to hit us up with your questions on the socials the social medias, um, and we'd want to give at least one last shout out to our sponsor for this first uh, chunk of podcast episodes we were able to do. Again, thank you, Aslo, A-Z-L-O-O.com, where you can go and set up your own small banking account, no fees, um, that helps entrepreneurs like us start, grow, and succeed in their businesses on their own terms, because financial freedom is deciding your own future. Amen to that. We are your hosts, Del Del Medina 
at D-E-L-D-E-L-P on the Twitter. And Ania Williams. I'm not going to spell my name, but my handle is Opera Queenie with an I-E at the end. Uh, we are from Black and Brown Founders. Follow us. Leave us a rating. Donate. This podcast, this wonderful podcast, is edited and produced by Alejandro Martinez. The theme song by the wonderful Madison McCarran. Thank you, Madison. Thank you. And thank you guys for listening. Take care. Bye.